up and into the pesky pole. And that's going to get down the line. That one looks like it'll stay fair. And goodbye, home run. The pesky pole. 2-2. Bringing a five ball deep down the right field line. Slicing by the pesky pole. And that ball hits the pesky pole. Slicing toward the pesky pole into the corner, and that ball is gone! A green can. Now on a high fly down the right field line, headed toward the pesky pole. Is he going to tuck it inside? Indeed he does! That is gone! Welcome to another episode of the Pesky Podcast. I'm your host, The Rit. With me, I have an all-star panel today. I have, of course, the OG, my head writer, George Sutherland. George, what's going on? Not much, man. Just eager to get eager to to do this and you know see some real baseball. I guess at the end of the day, but. And then we have returning one of our writers, Riley. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. How's it going? Uh, not too bad. We have returning. The man, the co-host of ITM, Mr. Joey Capone. Hello. Thank you very much for having me back again, guys. Dude, you are welcome anytime that you can get a free moment. Whenever Steve's not, uh, does not have you handcuffed. Yeah, those moments are few and far between. Honestly, now probably more, more than the past few months. Getting yeah. some freedom uh, from this team. I got to sit there and say I love the uh, going live at uh what was it friendlies oh yeah yeah friendlies for kike so that there was uh was was quite an adventure sure was and making his uh pesky debut chris henrik got it there we go what's going on so not too bad man uh thanks for coming on uh dc will be on in a little bit so let's uh let's sit there and talk. We got an end of the season player grade show going on here. Uh, this is gonna be crazy, you know, because well, it's a it's a season that a lot of us want to just forget. So it started off really hot, really good. You know, we had some great memories with uh, with Adam Duvall, you know, early. But man. The season isn't what it should have been. So let's start with uh, with you, George. Uh, what was your end of the uh, end result and thought of the 2023 Red Sox? Hope in the beginning and just utter disappointment at the end. Um, you know, the, the, it looked like for a while they were going to get it together, particularly in July when they started putting it together. Uh, but their flaws caught up to them. Uh, you know, you can't go with you can't go with two openers, you know, in a five in five man rotation and expect to be strong. And they, they eventually ran out of gas. The bright spot was you got a bunch, you get a chance to see a couple of the younger guys come up and uh, get a glimpse of what they'll probably be. But you know, disappointment. Um, I guess you know. Not unexpected, I guess, if you took a look back. I think we we're all kind of hoping for the best in the beginning, but you know, it soon became apparent that defense was not going to be this strong suit. And uh, you know, that and some poor pitching kind of undid them throughout the season. 
yeah, uh, I got to agree with you. The defense and the pitching was there was abysmal throughout the whole season. So Riley, what did you? Th- what were your final thoughts on the 2023 uh, Red Sox? Yeah. Uh, so toward the end, I could definitely tell that they weren't gonna go anywhere. Really, I could tell it was gonna be a disappointing end to the season. Uh, kind of same as George. I had some optimism in the beginning of the season, particularly the first half. Um, because, well, so last year I was writing about the Phillies for work. I was following them closely, and also I like the Phillies in general. Um, so I was kind of able to, like, see the similarities between where the Phillies were last year compared to where the Red Sox are this year. Their stats were, like, pretty much parallel to one another. The Phillies had an insane offense last year, but their defense was, you know, not that great. And they still made it to the World Series. And I was thinking the Red Sox, I mean, it wasn't guaranteed, of course, that they were going to be following the same path. But the Red Sox were pretty similar in the sense that they had one of the best offenses in the league. It was above average. And the thing with offense is like, yeah, you want a good defense, but if you can have a great offense that's going to basically like like let's say you're just cranking out home runs those aren't playable balls you could have the worst defense in the world but if you rack up enough runs it can still make up for the fact that you have a bad defense and you can still win games that way and so I was kind of comparing like apples to oranges in a sense you know looking at that but then as the season went on and the offense just wasn't cranking out like it could have been I wasn't going to say should have been because you know you never know um But they had a lot more potential, and I think they just were kind of like, kind of, I think they're still kind of finding their rhythm. They have a talented team, but it's a lot of younger core players that, you know, are still breaking out. Like, if you look at Casas, he didn't do great in the beginning of the season, but then toward the end, he was just super explosive. So I still have a little bit of optimism for him where, yeah, I was a little disappointed that they didn't do great or as well as they could have, but... I'm still pretty optimistic about them in the future. Yeah, uh, I think the next upcoming seasons are going to be really, really ones for us to watch as long as we can get some starting pitching, which is I think is what we really need. Uh, Chris, what about you? Yeah, I uh, I had optimism around the deadline. I think pretty much everybody did. And then they kind of pulled the rug out from underneath us by not going out and making a move. And I, I know that it's hindsight now to kind of say, well, they should have traded or whatever, but they were in striking distance and you had an opportunity to at least remain competitive for the rest of the way. Um, I'll be honest. I thought that the last, what was it like 20, 25 games where they basically waved the white flag and they gave up. That really put a sour taste in my mouth. Not even just set aside like being, I guess, a fan sometimes, but even just like covering the team. I, I really had a hard time with the fact that these guys just mailed it in. And that's exactly what it was. You know what I mean? So um, but I I feel pretty optimistic for this offseason because this team needs to make a splash. And I think that they're going to, and I don't think they're gonna make a splash in the terms of doing something for the sake of actually doing something. I think that they need to go and show that they're the Red Sox again. Um, plenty of names out there to go ahead and do that this winter. And I'm, but, uh, but as for overall this past season, I felt pretty good about them around the deadline time. Cause I really thought that they were going to, they were going to do stuff and then they didn't. And, you know, it just, they ran out of gas. You know, I think 
both of you have already said that the, the pitching couldn't sustain it. You know what I mean? Two openers isn't going to cut it. Um, so hopefully, hopefully they can write this ship and we can go into next season and we can get a little more of that stability and sustainability that we've been told we were going to get for a handful of years. And, uh, we have to go through, you know, a 2020 season and a 2022 and a 2023 any longer. Yeah, uh, it kind of disappointed me towards the end when, you know, you had, like you said, Chris, people giving up, throwing the white flag. And then you see people like Justin Turner out there who's played hurt for how long, just continuously going out there and doing what they pay him to do, game in and game out. It's like, why why would he, why is he putting his body on the line when the whole team, you know, felt like it was giving up throughout the, season, the, the last three, four weeks? I and it might also get a little bitter too because I had 78 and a half. I took the over and obviously that didn't hit. So it, you know, they hit the 78 right on the dot. Um, so I was a little bitter about that, but uh, I've since let that go. I paid my my due and uh, but uh, yeah, that's um, I don't know. It's um, when you guys were asking like before, like what was worse, like 2020 or 2023. Um, 2020, I don't really. That's like an afterthought. This season, I don't know. This there's something about this year just kind of really didn't sit with me. So I'm really hoping that uh really hoping that 2024 and beyond will uh kind of you know, we can put that in the past and move forward. Yeah, Joey, what about you? I had so much less fun than I was told I was gonna. I was led to believe I was gonna have a much better year, as were some players. I mean, I think back to Kike getting his extension which is funny now in hindsight that that was major news of last offseason, but it was mm -hmm. that Kike was coming back one year, 10 mil, and he openly said something that he probably shouldn't have and was probably told to not say, and that was Heim told me we're going to be a much better team next year. They weren't. And Kenley Jansen is grabbing a microphone every opportunity that he gets right now <laughs> and letting everybody know, hey, I, was, I agreed to come here because I was told that this was going to be a competitive team and that's not what happened either uh so i have to believe that the guys on this team feel a similar way to we do that is uh disappointment and also kind of shock at at the way things played out and chris to what you were saying about uh the deadline and it might be some hindsight now i don't even think that that is hindsight man i think there were so many people at the deadline saying like Now's the time you got to push. You didn't do it last year. You were two games out in 2022 at the deadline and you did nothing. So we can't do the same thing again. And I had a looming fear as a lot of people did. This isn't some, I'm not patting myself on the back that I saw this coming because it didn't take a soothsayer to know that it probably wasn't going to be a very loud trade deadline. And it wasn't. And then after that it was miserable. So uh, I think this year in our rearview mirror will look like the most obvious bridge year of all time, but we weren't told that. And I think that's, what's really frustrating. We weren't told wait and see. We were told wait and see, and we're going to make a competitive team right now. That was Heim's mantra over and over again was build for the future while also competing. You didn't compete. You just didn't. Uh, and I understand that's like an impossible job and I'm not trying to rag on Heim, but it's just not the case. It's not what happened. Uh, and, and looking back, there's going to be names like Justin Turner, Adam Duvall, Corey Kluber would be a great trivia question a couple of years from now of, of guys who were here for a little bit and, and then disappeared 
uh, before this new core emerges and whatever. And it'll look like, you know, a coming out party for Casas and Yoshida and Bayo, you know, solidifying as himself as a major leaguer. But looking back on this year, I think it's going to be uh, one that we want to forget. You know, even to jump yeah. in really quick uh, when it like with the deadline too. you know, typically in years past, there's always been some sort of chatter where anybody, you know, would have at least something on what the team was going to do. And there was really, there was really nothing. I mean, now that there's stuff, I mean, it, I want to say like three days after the deadline, the, the thing that I put out with like Verdugo and Clark Schmidt, I was told, but like, I didn't want to put it out. I was also asked not to put it out. So like, I kind of was respecting, you know, what I was being told, but once Bloom was pretty much let go, and I think this is like a misnomer because a lot of people are going on social media and they're like, oh, the Red Sox are they're slandering high Bloom. I think that's the furthest from the case. That that's the absolute furthest from the case. There, there are there are more people talking that are not with the Red Sox organization, and there are more people talking that are little lieutenants of Bloom that were not on the same page with High Bloom in some respect that are that are starting to like open up that door a little bit and kind of you know, but I don't look at that as being slander. I look at that as them saying like, Hey, these are he shot himself on the foot. I these mean, are, yeah, no, but these are things that they were legitimately talking about and they legitimately thought were going to happen or they thought had some legs to make this team better. And for whatever reason, it just never went down. You know, look, do I think like Verdugo for Schmidt would have made sense? Probably not. I'm not really big on Clark Schmidt, but like, Dylan Cease made sense and they mm -hmm. talked about it. You know what I mean? So why didn't it happen? You know, who stopped that ultimately? You know what I mean? And I think that's where we may not find that out. You know, we may not find out exactly why the Red Sox didn't go and pull a trigger on a deal like that the Tuesday before the deadline when they probably could have done that, which is ultimately, you know, frustrating. Is it, do we want to try to keep the kids and see what happens? Is Chris sale really going to come through this time? Because it never actually has happened. Like, those are the things that I, I think that we have a right to second guess, but I don't really think that there's been any sort of slander. I, I don't think that that's, I think that that's just overreaction from people who are like, you know, pro bloom or whatever. Um, I'm kind of in the middle on it. He was good to me, you know, during my time, you know, when I got to be around him and the team. But um, I told him one time, I'm like, Worcester, I'm like, dude, you got to like do something. Like, what are we waiting on here? And he just kind of like looked at me and smirked, you know, but. That's the thing with the whole Bloom conversation is it's not black or white. It is a gray area. And that's just not how one, how social media works. And also just not how uh, sports fans want to exist. They want villains and they want heroes. And that's it. They want the good guys, the bad guys. Who do I root for? And the story around Heim Bloom is a really great one. It's, it's kind of an anti-hero story where he was given an impossible task. He was made to do some of the hardest things that any GM, CBO, whatever you want to call him, has had to do. His first order of business was trading the most talented homegrown player we'll ever see in our lifetime. But he also had shortcomings, the inability to pull the trigger, the Chris Sale rumors that have come out that there was a team willing to take on 90% of his contract in return for players and to not pull the trigger on that. There's, there's multiple examples. We don't need to get into all the examples, but it's just, I think there is room for saying, yes, he was given an impossible job and he 
was fired for doing exactly what he was asked to do while also saying he fell short in a lot of ways and he could have done better in the interim while he was here. Yeah, he, yeah. we all know people like Bloom who are extremely analytical and think everything to the nth degree. And these are the same people that when you go out to lunch, they can't decide what they want to order. Okay. Because they're, try, they're, they're trying to balance, you know, what they think they should do and what they don't do. And I think that's the thing. I, I've, I, you know, right now we've talked about it a hundred times, you know, on the podcast. It's like, you know, he suffers from analysis paralysis. You know, he can't bring himself to take that next step. He doesn't have the action gene in him. You know, it's just okay. Now I have, now I have to, you know, now I have to push the button. Well, you can you can come to his defense a little bit and say when you aren't given a blank checkbook, and you are handcuffed to uh, lead in trades and you know outside transactions as your primary source of player acquisition that you need to maximize every one of those deals and i think heim took that really really seriously and to his detriment i think he that that analysis paralysis is also i don't have a catchy phrase for the one i'm about to say i was trying to think of one but um i think he was paralyzed by the idea of not winning every trade I think he was obsessed with the idea of how do I maximize my return because I'm not going to be able to just go and sign whoever or you know if I trade the farm like there's there's no uh, reality where, or there's no guarantee that I can replenish that system that I'm here long enough to do that like there's when you're handcuffed you you do have to um, make the most of what you're given but at the same time it's 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 a really tough job for a guy who had also had never been the number one. So it's a lot thrust onto one dude. Uh, and there's some personal bias here too. That like, I, I'm sure you feel Chris that like he was a great guy. That's the thing too, is like people on the outside want to just say screw him and whatever. He was a really nice guy and he was way more giving of his time than any GM needs to be. Was way more available. Um, you know, was willing to just have a conversation about ball. It was with just, like how many GMs are just on the field pregame for a game in May and just talking to reporters, you know, without microphones, just chatting it up for, you know, an hour pregame. Um, but I, I don't want to pat him on the back all too much, but I, I, I do think it's a gray area. It's just not, it's just not right or wrong in my eyes. Yeah. Joey, uh, Chris, both, uh, and even George, like you guys all make great points. Uh, there has to be a gray area with him. Because he he will always be martyred as the person that gave away Mookie bets. Will he but, though? Will he? Will that be like a big part of his legacy here? I I think so. You know, but I look at the end of it. You know, look who. Okay, he traded Vazzy, and look who. You know, look who we got. Uh, Abreu was supposed to be the the second guy in the trade, but he's, he's turned out really, really well. And he could be the star of the trade. Uh, you know, he's rebuilt our farm system with, you know, talent with, you know, Roman Anthony, Kyle Teal, uh, great acquisitions there. So if he was actually given like Dombrowski a blank check, we could have easily had another world series, maybe two. You know, 2021, uh, you know, would have been a big year for us, I think. But like you guys said, his hands were tied to a certain degree. And 
when the next GM comes in, we're going to see if it was, if it's management, which a lot of us, I know I believe it's management or was it the actual general manager? So I think it, yeah, I think it's a combo. I think we're going to, even to the person's going to come in, whoever he or she or they, or whatever the combination is going to be, that they're going to have, they're probably going to have a little bit more resources to use when it comes from like the money aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure as they're going to have more players to choose from, for making a move or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I don't look at like this off season as I like, I don't know if you can fix it in one off season. I know some people say they can, some people say they can't. I'm under the camp right now. Like I'm going to believe it when I see it, but I wouldn't hate if they did something like Texas did last off season and go and get three arms personally. You know, I've never really been a person to get all hyped up on one guy because I know when that happens, you get your, you get disappointed and you're kind of left with that like egg on your face, but the Boston Red Sox need to make Shea Otani the number one priority. And and there's no other to me, like you, I don't know how you can unconvince me from that because where I just mentioned they need to get three arms. Well, you will, you're going to get to this off season. You need to go and get a Yamamoto and a Montgomery and get Shohei. And there's your third arm for now next season. And now you can, you can slot guys into the correct spots. Now Bayo is, doesn't have to be the ace right off the bat. He can just kind of continue to develop and kind of, you know, show what he can become. Now you have some flexibility where, you know, does Tanner Howe become expendable? I know, and look, I'm not saying trade Gary Whitlock. I'm just using this as like examples, but like Whitlock maybe becomes expendable or he goes into the bullpen and stays where he belongs. And, you know, you have him with Martin and, and Jansen, and now you can go out and get another bullpen guy to kind of solidify all that. Um, but, the question is, is like, will they be able to do that? And are they going to do that? But to me, it starts with Otani. I think that's, that's needs to be what the Red, the Red Sox need to go back in the business of being the Red Sox again. Again, I don't think they need to do anything that needs to put them in a really, really bad spot. Shohei Otani fills the seats. And I think the Red Sox never want to see what they saw this season again. You know what I mean? Felger and Maz really kind of like hitting them hard with that dollar ticket nonsense. You know what I mean? Like they made a point. And, you know, I understand a doubleheader on Tuesday, you know, you get school and people are going to work, but on Saturday, if you can't fill that ballpark when the Yankees are there, like, what are we doing? And the Red Sox need to fix that. And you start there with Otani. And if you don't land them, at least show us that you were legitimately in the conversation. Enough of the interest Kings. Like I want to see the Red Sox going back to being the Red Sox. And I think for like George, you probably could, you know, back in 04, that off. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you know, the Manny Ramirez chase, like were they yeah. gonna Ramirez? Are they going to sign Mike Mussina? Like that's when it was like fun during the off season again. Last couple off season, it's we knew what we we're going to get. We were connected to everybody, but you knew it was going to be the you know love them. But Martin Perez was going to be the end result. You know what I mean? And I think it's going to take a little bit, at least for me anyway. And maybe I'm speaking for people a little too much here. I think it's going to take some time to readjust what it is to be a Red Sox fan in the offseason. Because as you said, Otani, all, all the cards are aligned for them to make a push for a player like that and to, to spend big this offseason. But you say Otani, and my brain is now programmed to go, come on, man, come on, they're not going to do that. But they absolutely are in position to do it. But it's, it's going to take a couple of those signings for me to readjust because every report that you see, like, oh, the Red Sox are you know looking like a, a real contender in Otani. I just write off because I'm like, I can't get excited about that because I have no reason to believe yet. 
that they are going to do those things. They totally can't. The thing is, this whole time, they could have too. They're better set from a business standpoint to do it now, but they've always had the money to do it. There are some Mm -hmm. signs that they are more willing to right now because they're moving in a different direction as far as general management goes. Uh, I Maybe I'm dumb here, but I care about this kind of stuff. The fact that they sold a, a, a percentage of Liverpool for two hundred million, yeah. two hundred million, that to me means something. Is two hundred million anything to these guys? No. Is it an Otani contract? No. But it means something to me that they're liquidating assets to some extent. In I I get the gears going when I hear that stuff, and I think, okay, they're funneling all their money back into the Red Sox. But I have to see it before I totally buy into it. Uh, and this is the off season to do it because if they don't this off season, if they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we, I don't know. We grabbed 46 year old Nelson Cruz. We think that he can be a power bat in the middle of this lineup. No. Then I'm, I'm not going to Fenway park. I'm not buying a ticket. I mean, I'm not, I don't think that anyone should. And I, I don't know how far down the attendance charts that, Fenway Park needs to fall before they do that kind of stuff. Because like you're saying, Chris, there was, you know, games in September where people stopped coming and whatever. But up to that point, they're selling out every night. It's still Fenway. It's really when it comes down to like, okay, are they making a playoff push or not that people stop coming? If they keep going this route, I don't really know how long it would take for people to stop showing up in June, July, August. People still come. I mean, it's a tourist attraction, and they I think that they have been relying on that the past couple of years, that they're still going to make money. They're still going to be fine. But uh, it's your top of the pyramid. It's your top 10% of fans, the people who really care, the people who watch 162 games that are going to start checking out. And this move in, in, in restructuring uh, the front office gives those people hope like it gives the 162 people hope that things will change, but that doesn't mean they have yet. They still have to actually make the change. Well, I think yeah, your point. Um, <clears throat> go ahead, George. I'm sorry. Um, I think you, uh, Joey, I think your point about the fact that, you know, that they sold off, you know, part of Liverpool. I think that they've gotten, uh, Liverpool was their new toy. So in their effort to divert, the sports group to diversify and, you know, keep growing, they they kind of neglected the parent organization to a point where it's gotten this bad, okay? And like you said, they now need to refocus, okay? Because sooner or later, and the fans will, they'll, you know, if you're not, I'm old enough to remember what it was like as a kid in 65 and 66, when you know nine hundred people yeah, would show I, I up at the ballpark, that. yeah. Well, I, I am the OG, um, so. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I mean, nine hundred people show up in a, at a game in September. I mean, you know, you know, somebody dropped a somebody dropped a uh, you know a, a bottle of soda, and you know, you heard it all over the ballpark. But you know, I don't think it's not going to be that bad again. But I think that you know it has that they have gotten away from, it. and the fan and, and the fans are rightfully upset about it. And, you know, because, you know, they've been spoiled. They've gotten four championships in, you know, in, in you know, the, the century so far. So they're like, oh, you know, we should be able to do this. And, you know, they, they, they're, just, they're just tired of it. And, if it, you know, FanFest last year, if you think that uh, they were going to be upset with John Henry last year, well, just wait till the pitch works come out this year. 
I mean, can't wait. Cannot wait. I can't wait to, to go to winter weekend. Cause last year I sat in the, like, I didn't want to go on to like the, the, the floor level. So I went up and I sat like directly in the middle. So mm-hmm. I got to get like a good view. Um, but I can't wait for the, but the thing too, though, is that if they come out swinging and they add a couple of free agents that are going to, you know, kind of change the narrative on and try to, you know, kind of like men in black, hold the pen out and, you know, make us forget about the last couple of years. Um, it may not be as crazy as, as what it was last year, but last year that was just, that was, that was awesome. That was intense. Yeah. So let's go, let's move into our first player, uh, end of the season player grade. We're going to start off with uh, Ryan Bayo. So, Riley, we're going to start with you. What would you grade Ryan Bayo's uh, season? Put me in the hot spot. Um, Brian Bayo, I would – honestly, I think I would give him, like, a solid B+. Plus. You know, he wasn't flawless, but there were a lot of times where he did exactly what we needed him to do. He's still young. He's he's growing into his role. Um and I think he's shown like very, very good signs of reliability. He's a great pitcher all around. Um, yeah, I'd give him a solid B plus only because he wasn't perfect. You know, nobody is. But I think he still has a lot of growing to do. You know, he's had his mistakes here and there. But I think overall he's shown a lot of potential, a lot of promise. And he has been there in times that we really needed him to step up and do well. So that's that's what I'd give him. Hey, uh. I'm right there with you with the B plus just because it was a lot of pressure early on with our pitching staff going down where he was originally, you know, the number three guy maybe. And then all of a sudden you're forced to be the number one. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of pressure, but he was able to handle the load, you know, get to the seventh inning, something that most of our pitching staff didn't even see, you know, as much as him. So I'm also going to sit there and go B plus. Uh, George, what about you? Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the same B plus. I mean, you know, he's, he you could see the difference in his game from when he came up uh, the at the end of the previous season. Working with Pedro seemed to help him. Um, he made you know he he's made that good next step. I think uh, you know he's got a lot to think about this off season. And, you know, he's determined, you know, he's got that fire in his eye. So I think, you know, yeah, for B plus for sure. And you can see that he will be even better next year. Okay. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I think B, I'm going to go B. Um, but yeah, I, I was there. I got to see him pitch against, um, it was the Marlins, right? Yeah, it was the Marlins where he had that no hitter and then it kind of mm-hmm. broke up. Um, I thought that was, that was the best outing that he had all season. He even took the loss on that. Um, but you could just see how he went and transformed over the course of the season. Um, <clears throat> couldn't understand or figure out why he couldn't pitch during the day. But um, even like, you know, down in Worcester, you know, um, just seeing him going and doing like little things that the team wanted him to do to try to get better, to get back up to Boston and how, you know, he was really positive when he was down there. Uh, again, to try to get back up there, um, quirky dude, which I, which I like, he don't speak <clears throat> a lot of English, but he would try to talk to you. Um, I just, you know, overall thought that he really kind of grown and he matured, you know, for in front of our eyes. Um, 
I just don't want to rush it with him. You know what I mean? Like he's the first true homegrown guy that, that the Red Sox have had from a pitching standpoint, a really long time. So I really want to see that kind of continue to mature and kind of develop organically in front of our eyes. Um, but he he's done all the right things and, and, you know, hopefully continues to go into this off season with that same approach. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go just, I'll go a solid, solid B. Okay. Joey, what about you? I'm going to take the over here uh, and I'm going to go with an A minus. I think that Brian Bayo was your only consistent pitcher this entire year, uh, which is a lot to put on a kid who's uh, 14 years old or whatever. Uh, he, from May to August, uh, he made 20 starts, 118 innings, which is essentially Chris Sale's entire season, a couple more innings, same amount of starts, a 326 ERA over that time. He also showed you the kind of guy that he's going to be the uh, – sure, there are moments of inconsistency, but in showing you who he is, uh, he's he's not trying to change himself. You didn't see his strikeout rate go up as he went on. You didn't see him trying new pitches and um, you know banging his head against the wall. He is – the guy that he is and he is going to be a great two or three. I mm -hmm. just hope that next year that he's not put in a position where he's, you know, a, a top two arm. I think for, for what you asked of him this year, he over delivered. Um, and yeah, like the, the final numbers aren't all too sexy, but uh, I think a lot of that is the workload. And also the, the, like I said, the position that he has put in the rotation that didn't exist around him. Yeah. Uh, 157 innings pitched to end the season for him. That was, you know, like you said, that that's what we expected from Chris sale, you know, and well, you put a young kid in, into that spot. He handled himself very, very well. Uh, overall, you know, I can't wait for him. I think Joey, you're right. I think he's a, It'll be great if he could be a number three spot next year. Gives him time to develop, you know, and just a little more time to, to work on things. So uh, the next guy I want to sit there and, and throw out there is kind of a, a small curveball because he kind of came on really surprisingly. Uh, Bernardino, you know, I, I don't want to go through everybody, but Bernardino kind of was one of those Heim Bloom key finds so uh chris uh we'll, let's start with you yeah um i i think bernardino um i'd probably go b plus even a minus I, I like when you get a a guy off of um you know when you claim him that was after that was dfa like what is really your expectation you know what i mean like it's dfa for a reason nine times out of ten it's you know they're a fringe for a player um, but he, you know, he just talk about like the story that he had just to get back into baseball, but like overall, I mean, he was everything the Red Sox needed. He, he provided stability from the left-handed side when, you know, at the beginning of the season, that was supposed to be Blyer and, you know, Blyer just couldn't, you know, couldn't get that done. So, um, yeah, I think Bernardino was an outstanding find, um, similar to when they got and they grabbed Schreiber, um, I think he threw the second most innings out of a reliever. I think he threw like 55 and change or maybe 55 right on the dot, you know, not terrible, you know, considering that that was the guy that you claimed off of waivers. Um, 
and you know went, went down to Worcester. When he's down in Worcester, his demeanor didn't change. When he was up in Boston, his demeanor didn't change. He was just, you know, someone that all around quality guy. So, um, looking forward to him being a piece of the team next season. But I, I think that was one of the one of the few really good ones that that, that Bloom grabbed over the course of his tenure. And I so I, I'll I'll be comfortable. I'll say A minus. I'll stick with A minus. Okay, okay, I like that. Uh, Joey, uh, you, you you chuckled a little bit when uh, when we were talking about Blyer, but what do you think? Uh, I forgot about Richard Blyer. So hearing his name is just oof, a couple of years from now. That one's going to make me laugh uh, even more than it does right now. So here's the thing with Brandon Bernardino is uh, when you're a reliever, it takes one bad outing to really stain people's mind. And I think that Bernardino escaped that because uh, he was so consistent and he did fill, you know, so many roles that, that uh, he was not expected to fill. Uh, but that, that one blow up against the Yankees in uh, was that September? Yes, it was. Yeah. 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 September 14th. He had that five inning or five <coughs> one outing against the Yankees, but in his final 22 appearances of the year, 19 of them were scoreless. Two of them were on one run. And then there was that one uh, implosion there. Uh, Chris kind of hit the nail on the head. I'm right with you. I think it's an A minus, uh, much more than you expected. Uh, not a guy that you should have needed to rely on. That's kind of the tail of the tape with a lot of your pitching staff. Not a guy that you should have had to rely on, but a guy who, when his number was called, showed up. I think an A minus is appropriate for Brennan Bernardino. Okay, Riley. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with A minus. You know, you didn't really expect him to do much. Of course, you didn't expect him to be a complete blowout because we signed him. But I don't know. I I don't think I had like much hope in him necessarily either, especially considering like the rest of the pitching staff. I never have hope for them. Um, but I think he was really like he was he was a good hidden gem. I think he came up. He did exactly what we needed him to do. Nobody really expected him to do that. Um, he kind of defied his own ex- expectations in that way, you know. And I think he was just probably one of the more reliable uh, relievers that we had, which was extremely important because we didn't really have any reliable relievers or pitchers. I mean, we had some here and there, but he definitely helped the cause, which I think was, of course, one of the most important things with particularly the 2023 Red Sox. Um, so I think solid A minus is, is what I'd give him to. And George. Uh, I'm, I'm a little tougher grader. I'm giving him a B plus uh, on a staff of diff- disappointments. He did well, um, uh, unlikely find and, you know, di- did a lot of good things for the Sox kind of, a, you know, in a Swiss army knife role. Um, uh, but yeah, for me, I, I, I give him a B plus. I uh, got more out of him than we expected. Um, he is what he is, and um, you know, he he did well. He is kind of like you know what Shriver was for us last year. You know, the unexpected find, and you know, kind of resurrected his career here. Uh, I'm gonna sit there and go with A plus, uh, not A plus, A minus, A minus, just because of he was that guy that was probably second in my opinion to martin where you could count him you know, on him like 90 95 percent of the time when you know he's relied on so uh, i'll take a minus on that one 
Next up, we're going to go with the, the guy we're going to be talking about for the next, you know, nine years now. We're going to go Devers. So, Joey, let's start with you. What a weird year. You're giving me the hardest one. Uh, this is a weird one because the numbers look good uh, in totality. And there's all sorts of splits that you can pull and say, uh, you know, the only X amount of players have slashed these lines over this period of time. Uh, and I don't like to rely on this, but the eyeball test this year didn't instill too much hope in any Devers at bats. There was never a moment where, uh, you know, socks were rolling and I said, oh, Endeavors is on deck. Watch out. Uh, I just didn't feel like he posed much of a threat. And I, it's hard to sit here and be like, yeah, 30 homer, 100 RBI year. Yeah, it's kind of a down year for him. But it is. And I think that only speaks to how good he is and what the expectations around him really are. Um, oh God, this is a hard one, man. I, I think because the expectations on Devers are so high, I think this is just a solid B year for him. Uh, and that's not to discredit what he did. You know, if he had a different name on the back of his jersey and put these same numbers up, I think that this grade is a little different. But uh, for me, I, I would say say this is a B year. I think these numbers, these grades could be very all over the place too. I, I don't mm -hmm. know where anybody else is, but I'm sticking with B. Okay. Uh, let's go for you, Riley. So Devers, I agree, is an extremely tough one. Devers personally is my favorite player. So this one is like always hard for me to speak on. Um, I think I had a lot higher expectations for him going into this season, especially because of the fact that Bogarts left and, he was kind of like, you know, the next step up. He was right up there with Bogart's last season. Um, he was really supposed to be like, I guess unofficially like that leader. He was supposed to be like one of the, the best players on the team, kind of, you know, taking the younger players, showing them this is how you do it. And I think he did a great job of like mentoring them and making them part of the team and all that. But I think he underperformed to his own standards. And that's not to say that he had a bad season necessarily, because by any means, his season wasn't bad. He still put out great numbers, but compared to what he's done in the past, I think he really underperformed like against his own self, which was a little disappointing. But in general, I still think he's a great player. I still think he's someone that the Red Sox need to hold on to. They need to keep. So for that, because of the fact he wasn't like a blowout necessarily, I'd probably give him a solid B plus, which like Joey was saying, if it was any other player that didn't have such high expectations tied to him, he'd probably get a little bit of a higher ranking because his numbers were good. He still put out good results, but I think he, he was a little iffy with his defense. There were times when he just wasn't, wasn't quite there at bat. I think he could have done a lot better than he did. And while he was still like pretty reliable, he wasn't as reliable as he has been in the past or as reliable really as we needed him to be. So I think B plus is probably probably right around where I'd give him just given like the expectations and his past history and all that with the with the Red Sox. Uh, me personally, I, I, I'll go next. I'm going to go C plus. The numbers are there. 
but the person that got in his way was himself. Uh, he's the only, he's one of the few players I can think of, but that can throw the ball, you know, away one play and then come back two plays later. And you're, you're like, how do you do that? So it, it, I expect a lot more from him. Uh, you know, he's, he's still young yet. But I'm going to go C-plus with him. So, George, uh, what about you? Uh, I'm in a solid B category. Um, offensively, his numbers were fine. Uh, I wasn't totally disappointed. Uh, I think he during the, the season he kind of adjusted. His batting average rose significantly as the season went on. Uh, you know, he was in the what the upper two thirties, and he, you know he he pushed it up there. He was he was stopping trying to put the ball over the fence every time and saying, "I'm going to take what the pitcher gives me, go to the opposite field, and do the things that made him a very dangerous hitter." Um, for me, his grade would have been a lot higher, except that you know his defense was was suspect, and and I I don't see long term it getting any better, which. You know, for the team is going to be a problem, given the fact that you know they, they now have a ten-year commitment to him, and you know he, he's not a great defensive third baseman. So now you have to you know figure out you know is, if he's your long-term DH, you, know, you have some other you have some other issues you have to deal with. Um, and I think that's you know that's this, that's the thing. You have the good Devers, you know, which can mash and drive in runs and things like that. But the bad Devers is, as you said, he'll put the ball in the seats, or you know, he doesn't know when to doesn't know when to eat it, or you know, like he it loses focus at the wrong time. So, yeah, for me, solid B. Okay, Chris, well, you're up. Yeah, I am. Um, <clears throat> I'm kind of teetering between like where you know you're at with the C plus, and the reason why I'm going to say that is you know when you sign the deal that he signed, the expectations around the type of player that you instantly put yourself in like a stratosphere of needs to change. Um, I think that you know him not having truly someone in the lineup to protect him, like Turner was a, like was a really good surprise, but really isn't the guy to protect Rafael Devers too in the lineup. Um, so I think like offensively, I think it was, it was a good year, you know, for the, the stats are really good, but like that's Rafael Devers and he just signed a $300 million plus deal. Um, but defensively was a massive letdown and to, you know, George's point, but I think that the Red Sox need to figure out what, it was, is it just, he was mentally checking out here or there um, because you really can't afford, I, I don't think you can afford yet to move what's it going to be like 27 into the DH role just yet. And you kind of have Costas over at first base. So you're kind of limited in that respect. Um, you know, little things though that he did. I mean, he definitely, you know, set himself up as a leader within the clubhouse quietly. I mean, little things like buying the guys from the Wu Sox tickets to go to the Celtics playoff games, you know, earlier on when the season began, like those are all little things that Devers did um, that I thought was kind of cool. He didn't have to go ahead and do that, but um, I'd like to see this time next year, if the Red Sox go out and add somebody to put around him as to what his numbers might look like offensively, 
versus having just to be the actual guy. Um, but I just think that defensively, too many mistakes too often throughout the course of the season where it was almost, to me, it was like focus. He just wasn't focused. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did love when I heard about Devers, uh, I think it was earlier this week, how he wants to step up and, and go down to the minors and help and help and work with the, a lot of the minor league uh, Latino people. So uh, I, I love how he's stepping up, you know, in that aspect, but it's the glove that really, really bothers me. And for someone we're paying that much to, that's, you know, that's unexcusable. So uh, DC, can we, can we get your grade on uh, Devers? I'm going to keep this somewhat short just because the, I actually have some uh, quiet in the back. I'm uh, in between George and where you're at. I'd say a B minus. Obviously, the numbers could be a little bit better offensively, but the defensive, you know, miscues kind of kind of bring that down, especially if you're spending that much money, you know, on a guy like that. I agree. You got to figure it out as far as defensive wise. You can't move a guy that young into DH. Kind of a couple uh, blockages there, but um, I go B minus. And sorry I was late. Thanks for coming on, guys. So hey. Next up, we're, we're gonna go a little wishy-washy here. Let's go, Alex Verdugo. So, Chris, let's start with you. He started out really strong, started out hot, and then he got benched twice. I like the fact that he wasn't trying to be a home run hitter. I like the fact that Verdugo was. I think that Verdugo can just focus on being a doubles guy and just kind of pepper in like the wall and put it into the gap. I think that's that's the game that he should play. Defensively, he was outstanding. Um, should be a candidate to to win a Gold Glove. Um, I, I like Verdugo personally, but I think that he is one of the most expendable guys on the team. And I think William Abreu could you know adequately do exactly what he did next season. Um, but grade wise. He was just so up and down all season that I am going to give him a very generous C plus, And that's really only because of the fact that defensively he was strong for this team. Um, he did go, I mean, he, he did lead off. I hate him in the middle of the lineup. There's, he's no place being there. I think if the Red Sox had a team that was vying for like the postseason, Alex Verdugo batting seventh is just the absolute perfect spot for him. Um, I'm not going to be upset if he comes back though next year. I just don't think he comes back to the Red Sox next season. Um, but for this year, it just he he started out so strong and then it just it the wheels just came right off. And I I, I mean I'm saying like a, a generous C plus because you could argue and, and you could argue and say why that he was a, a even a C minus player, but I'll go C plus. George. Yeah, Chris, I'm with you, C+. Um, I mean, AC pushed every button he could to get him to perform at a top level, okay? And, you know, when he was on fire, he was on fire. But at the same time, you know, he's got a little bit of head case in him and doesn't have the internal motivation to keep going, you know, on a 162-game basis. Uh, defensively, yeah, I, I, you know, he should win the goal, should be in the, the running for a goal glove. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Generous C plus because there were too many other instances where, you know, his game was like, what, you know, uh, but yeah, 
I'm right with you there. Riley? Yeah, I, I'm a little indifferent on Alex Verdugo. I have some mixed feelings about him. I think his defense is honestly at times really insane. Like, it's really good. He's made some great plays. I think his offense, I mean, it's not bad, but it's, you know, it's just like, it's nothing special, I would say. Um, I think he's in a really tough spot in particular. You know, he kind of, kind of in the middle of the season, toward the end of the season, left a sour taste in management's mouths with the way he was acting and just presenting himself. And ultimately, that's why he got benched. And then you look at the outfield as a whole, who they have. I mean, they just pulled up Sadam Rafaela. They have uh, Jaron Duran. They have Masataka Yoshida. They have Adam Duvall. They have all these crazy players that are extremely good. Um, I think he might be a little, I I don't want to say too confident, but for lack of better terms, I think he might be too confident in his role with the Red Sox. Um, I think they have a really good pool of outfielders that they can pull from. And if they decide they don't need him, He's probably going to the chopping block a lot quicker than some of the infielders are. I think he's he's not really in a safe spot, secure role in his in the team because um, he's just, you know, he's he's already kind of being monitored by the team. Like, do we need him? Do we not need him? He has all these outfielders that are doing extremely well. And I do agree that he could definitely be a gold glove contender. He's he's done some really insane um, defensive plays. But I don't think that alone is necessarily enough to keep him on the team. I think he really needs to kind of clean up himself, his own presentation, just kind of do a little bit more to to really like prove his spot on the team. Because I think he belongs on the team if he can pull himself together. Um, so for that, I'd probably give him a B minus just because he's been pretty questionable. But he is he's a, he's a pretty solid player. Um, I think he just needs to prove himself. And the fact that he didn't really appear to be trying to prove himself all that much, you know, he didn't really seem to take it all too seriously, I think would kind of put him at a B minus for me. Okay. Uh, DC, what about you? Talk about Verdugo, right? Yeah. Uh, this was a tough one. I mean, obviously, you know how I feel or felt about Verdugo coming into the season. Uh, he kind of, it turned me around a little bit the first month. You know, I thought uh, I was turning the corner with them. And then just seeing, you know, the benchings, the two benchings throughout the season, great defense. But um, like Raleigh said, I, I just don't really like his presentation of himself. I don't, that's not like a personal dig or anything. I just feel like sometimes he just seems lackadaisical. Um, and then he kind of tapered off the last second half of the year, I mean, the second half of the year. The numbers that he has, we definitely need more. 13 home runs, what, 50, 54, 55 RBIs, 264. Just need a little bit more out of them. And I, I mean, admittedly so, I think my, uh, I don't know if disdain is the right word, but um, is the fact that he came over in the way he did. Obviously, the Mookie best trade. I'm not going to get into that. I'm over that. But uh, I think subconsciously, I think, you know, I expect a lot more out of him, maybe unfairly. But uh, I'm going to go a C-plus on him, you know, based off his great defense. But I think we need a lot more offensively from him. Okay, Joey. All right. Uh, unfortunately, this is going to be my last one because I got to head out of here. But uh, I will leave you guys on this. I'm hearing generous C's. I'm hearing generous C pluses. I'm going to give a conservative B plus to Alex Verdugo. I think given who he is, like you guys have mentioned, how he got here and the situation that he is in, uh, this is a guy who 
in June, we were all arguing should have been an all-star. And obviously his first half is a lot harder than his second half. And it's not the first time that's happened to him. The relationship that he has with Alex Cora is very public. And it is a, a, uh, unique one. Nobody else on the team gets aired out like that. Nobody else on the team gets publicly benched like that. I think that it is safe to say that there is some personal stuff there that he battles through and that he plays through. He also plays in the same position as a one Mr. Mookie Betts that he was directly traded for and does not let that weigh on him, or at least outwardly, and has overcome a lot of the conversation. I, I very rarely see people say, oh, this is the guy we got from Mookie Betts. Because nobody nobody compares him. He's an entirely different player. He's not the entire trade package also. But he's overcome those narratives. I think when he's going, he's going. And I think the things that he's had to go through, I mean, he's also been on the bereavement list this year. He's gone through a lot of things and still played really solidly the entire year. Did the last three, four weeks slow him down and make his numbers look bad? Yes. But uh, it's hard to play for nothing. Kenley Jansen, a long veteran, a champion, said the exact same thing. It is hard to get out there and play when there's nothing on the line. And I think that's hard for Alex Verdugo to do as well. It's just a little more apparent when you're swinging a bat rather than coming in and closing a game. Uh, I hope this is not the end of Alex Verdugo. It probably is, though. Uh, I, I don't know if he ever really got a fair shake here, given all of the, the circumstances around him. He's a guy I've always pulled for, uh, and and I hope that if he does go somewhere else, he's put in a position where he can thrive. Uh, and man, I just it, it stinks that this is the way this has gone because he really could have been a long term fan favorite. I don't think that the team wants to pay him is the other thing. I think keeping him around for next year is kind of an exercise in futility because they're just gonna have him for a year and get nothing in return for him or move him at the deadline and get very little for 60 days of Alex Verdugo. Uh, Cause I, I really don't believe the team thinks that he's a long-term piece. I hope he ends up somewhere where he can be that guy. You also, as Riley mentioned, you got so many outfield pieces. It doesn't make a whole bunch of sense, but I'm sending him out with some laurels. And I think that giving him a B plus on the way out of here is my way of saying thanks for everything on top of uh, what was a pretty good year, a year that should have seen him in Seattle. Uh, it stinks that this is the way this has gone, but I've loved Alex Verdugo. Um, and like I said, this has got to be my last one. I got to head out of here, guys. But uh, thank you very much for having me on. And, Thanks for uh, Tristan Cassis is Joey. an A+. Plus before we, when, once you guys get there, Tristan Cassis <clears throat> is an A+. Plus. What, what a talent we have stumbled upon. My favorite player in God knows how long. Thank you all very much, and uh, uh, go Socks. We'll talk again. Hey, thanks a lot, Joey. Take care. All right, you as well. So, man, uh, let's uh, let's go to a speed round. I'm gonna name a player. We're just gonna go go around real quick because there, there's some people I want to get to, but I don't want to go through everybody. So let's start with uh, Yoshida, George. B. Riley? B plus. Chris? Uh, I'll go B minus. DC? I'll go B minus as well. 
and I will go uh, a B. So let's go Winkowski. George? C plus. Riley? Yeah, C plus. Chris? I'm going to go B. DC? Uh, B minus. Uh, and I will go B plus just because what he what role he was you know filled into let's go Whitlock George C minus Riley probably B minus Chris yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the C category I'll go I'll just go straight C DC I'll follow that as well I'll go C now oh, that makes three of us C um, let's go. Let's make it an easy one. Justin Turner, George, A plus. Riley, A. Chris, yeah, he's he's an A. DC, A. And I'm gonna follow A plus just because that man you can't keep him uh, off the field at all. Uh, Connor Wong, George. Uh, C plus. Okay, Riley. Say B minus. Chris. B minus is um yeah, B minus. DC. B minus. I swear I'm not just taking their answers. Uh, I'll, I'll go C plus. So, uh, Pavetta. George. B. Riley. Yeah, I'd go B. Chris, if you would have asked me that before the season started, I would give him a strong C minus because I was not a Nick Pavetta guy. Um, but he, without him, uh, he's he's a B. He's a B for me. DC, uh, B minus. Uh, I'll go B minus myself also. Uh, let's go Paxton. George, B. Riley? B. Chris? Yeah, I'm comfortable with a B. DC? Uh, let's go B minus. I'll say B plus because I didn't expect him to even pitch nowhere near what he did this year. Let's go with another easy one. Let's go Martin. DC, let's start with you because that's your boy. I'm going to go A plus. Chris, he was their probably best player outside of Turner. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm. I don't do a pluses. I'm gonna go a. Okay, Riley. I'm also gonna go with a. George. A. A for myself too. Uh, Chris Sale. George. C minus. Riley. C. Chris? D plus. D plus? Okay. DC? C minus. And I'll take C minus also. Touch them all to ball. George? A B. Solid. <clears throat> Riley? This is a tricky one. Um, 
I'd say B plus just given his circumstances and the injury. Chris? I'm going to go C plus only because he got injured and very streaky. We got to see how streaky that he actually was. DC? I'm going to go B minus for Duvall. I'll go C plus with Duvall. Cutter Crawford. DC? I'm going to go B minus. Chris? Yeah, B minus. Riley? I think B minus. George? B minus. And since I said that he was going to have the most wins on the season, I'll take a, a, a B minus. <laughs> Um, I remember that. I'm not going to lie. When you said that, I thought you were crazy, but he wasn't too far behind. Yeah. Uh, let's go Tristan Casas. George? B+. plus. Riley? A-, minus. probably would have been a lot lower at the beginning of the season, but end of the season, I just was so drawn to how good he was doing. Chris? A minus, and I love the fact that he shut up so many people over the course of the season. Yes. DC? A minus. I will follow suit with A minus. Um, let's see. I know I'm missing somebody. Kelly Jensen. I almost forgot about him. DC? I go A plus. Or, I mean, not A minus, sorry. A minus. Chris? Yeah, I Dodger fans when they signed him were like, he's frustrating. You're gonna know why, and there were times the season you knew why. So I'm gonna go B plus. Okay, Riley. I'll have to throw him an A minus. George. I'm with Chris B plus. Yeah, me too. I will follow B plus. And let's go, Trevor Story. George. Mm. I, even though he made it back, I, I got to give him an incomplete. Okay. Riley? Yeah, I think he's a little tough to grade. I mean, I would probably give him like a C plus. He, he was really hyped up and didn't really do much. But I also worked his first game with the Sea Dogs and he hit a home run, so... I know that wasn't in the majors, but it still gives him a little extra bonus points for me. Riley, uh, you will be muted the rest of the rest of the gay uh, podcast because DC and I were so hoping that he would have been at the Woo Sox instead of getting sent down to Portland. But we got to go to the Woo Sox Rail Riders game, and they sent him to Portland instead of there. Yeah, I heard ahead of time that he was going to come to Portland. Oh, Chris, what about you? Yeah, it's so hard to to grade him um, because if it, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to grade him offensively and defensively. I'm not going to give him a full grade. I'm going to cheat the system. Offensively, he's a massive D minus. He was, was a massive disappointment, and I understand that he just did not get enough of the reps to get him ready. Defensively, if we had that all season long, 
probably a little bit of a different conversation in regards to record wise and some other things that we've gotten to see. He, he probably deserves a, a legitimate a when it comes to defense. Cause there's a case we made with a lot of the statistics and I'm not a big statistics nerd when it comes to all that advanced crap, but there is a case to be made for him. So I'm going to say offensively a D minus, but defensively an A. DC. Uh, yeah, that one's tough because a small uh, sample size and obviously the circumstances, but I'll go C. And me, I will go B just because he almost made me forget about uh, Kike playing shortstop the whole entire first half of the season. So that that, that there was, was good enough for me, seeing someone actually be able to throw it to first base and make it there. So we're going to go around one time. Anybody we had not named that you want to bring up, uh, bring up now. George? Sedane Raffaella, um, I think the the future is extremely bright with him. Uh, I, I mean, he, he, they they moved him around a little bit. They you know, he played center, he played short. They tried him in second base. Uh, for the small sample size we got, I, I give him a strong B plus. I mean, the, the kid has, you know, you can see the the upside the kid has, and. Um, yeah, he's he's the one player I'd, I'd add on to grade. Okay, Riley, who's your one player we haven't mentioned? So I don't have a player in particular, but I do have a moment that I would like to bring up. Raphael Devers as a shortstop. I don't have a grade for that, but that was just hilarious. You know, I have to give him an A, actually, for that, because when does Raffy play shortstop? He doesn't. Okay, Chris? Yeah, I'm going to go Jaron Duran, B+. Plus. Um, Duran, um, you know, considering, you know, last year and even the year before, you know, just a lot of um, disappointment. I don't want to bring up the the two games uh, from last year. I think we know which ones I'm referring to. But um, you know, just the fact that he came into spring training, he looked like a different player physically. Um, he was going the opposite way a ton went to go for with team Mexico seemed to like, he seemed like he was allowing himself to kind of come out as a person and as an individual versus, you know, what we got to see. And then when he got his opportunity to come up to Boston, when Duvall went down, um, there was like the epitome of, as you know, when you have a prospect that needs to go ahead and just kind of like grab the bull by the horns and run with it, he did that. Unfortunately, it sucked that he ended up getting, you know, hurt, but um, I'm looking forward to what Duran looks like next year. Now, again, too, is he back? You know what I mean? Is he, is he dangled in a move and they, you know, bring back a starting pitcher? That's a different conversation. But if he is back, um, he only just makes that team better and gives them a legitimate, you know, piece in the lineup. I think just from an outfield standpoint, it's not the greatest outfielder. He's not the greatest center fielder. Yeah, yeah, I think Maserati wrote something today to kind of, you know, really talked about where he was graded really low amongst center fielders. He's probably better suited in the corner outfield spot and left, but I thought he had a really, really good season. I liked what we got to see on the field, I think off the field too. Um, so sucked that he we that he got hurt because I would like to see in the last, you know, what, two months of what he would look like. So, 
Yeah. And my guy, I would sit there and I just, because I forgot about him, Tanner Houck, uh, B minus. I, I like what he was able to do for us when he was healthy. Uh, I still like him in the bullpen or maybe a number five starter. Uh, so we got to figure out next year, you know, where he could fit in the rotation. If not, uh, I do like Cutter ahead of him, though. So, but I also love how the last game of the season, uh, how Kamania ran wild uh, there in Baltimore, and, you know, they picked up the W, so he finished the season strong. So, but guys, I want to thank everybody for uh, for coming on. Uh, Riley, let everybody know where they can uh, meet you at. Uh read your articles, uh, and just talk baseball with you. Yeah, uh, I'm most active on Twitter, which my handle is RileyS underscore 14. Um, probably the best way to keep up with my work and follow me, chat with me. Chris, you're up. Yeah, you can uh, find me. Um, it's at Chris Henrik. You can also, um, I mean, Follow us at Beyond the Monster. We have a lot of stuff going on this uh, offseason. New podcast. I'll plug it for Ed and Andrew to the show we go. They, uh, they've they had, I think they just recorded their fifth episode today with Rob Bradford. It should be out on Monday. Um, and pretty excited for a lot of the guys that are going to be coming on the show. So, that are, so definitely check that out. No exact Twitter handle for them in regards to that show. You can just follow it through all of our socials. We're going to push it that way. Okay. And I listened to the first episode and I loved it. So. Uh, George, what about you? Uh, I mean, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Thurland Systems, and old to my old consulting gig, uh, and my Substack, uh, Pundits of the Pesky Poll. I read my every day, every day I do a Sunday column, and then I, uh, fill in, you know, when I feel the need to express myself, and, you know, find me on here when I appear. Last but not least, my man, DC. Right, you can just check out the Pesky Podcast Twitter. Uh, my name's on there if you want to go to mine, but um, that's more important, I think. Uh, Chris and Riley, thanks for coming on. Sorry for my tardiness. Life was a little crazy this morning. Um, but yeah, good to see you guys. Appreciate you coming on. Definitely. Thank you. So, guys, like always, uh, anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, we're there. Uh, you can check us out, download our podcast, head on over to our uh, website, get yourself some merchandise. You know, we're working with uh, Christopher Troy now. We got CT. Uh, get your Roman Empire t-shirt because the Roman Empire, the Legion is coming. Uh, we got the one I'm wearing right now. This is our fucking city, you know. Uh, and just, just check out our merchandise. So, guys, for Riley, for Chris, George, DC, and myself, thanks for checking out the Pesky Podcast.